Hi, Jyoti. Hi, Reagan. Uh, welcome to Soft Jaw Podcast, yeah. episode number five. Five. Um, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah, I just um, I have the day off work, so that's really nice. And I just finished um, I just finished a yoga DVD. But what's um, interesting about this one is that it's one that I haven't watched in many, many, many years because it was my dad's yoga oh, DVD. Wow. Um, and I don't, I think I did it once, you know, he recorded it, I think 92, it was a VHS tape and then it got, got upgraded to a DVD. Um, and I don't think I ever watched it since I've lived in the United States, which is like 11 years now. But, um, I, because of the theme of today's um, podcast of Corpse Pose, now that sounds really bad, not because he's dead, <laughs> oh my god, not because he's a corpse and I was honoring his corpse, <laughs> that, that too, maybe. there was that kind of, like I kept thinking about that, I was like, Corpse Pose, yeah, I mean, yeah, so there's that, but, so what's interesting about his teaching and what was in this dvd um was that he always began his sessions with corpse pose Mm. um deep relaxation poses he called it um he actually never used sanskrit words ever i realize now um and what re-watching the dvd you know i mean he's he passed away almost 11 years ago similar timing of me being in the United States I won't go there right now but (laughs) it's a weird coincidence but um yeah so I remembered that and I was like that I remember that was always you know the few times that I'd done his classes and you know since I was a kid like I I, you know used to sit in the corner or sit in a different room as he taught the classes so I knew you know he's he just always taught, at least for beginning classes, the same sequence. And it was always 10 minutes, like, relaxation pose. People would come into his class and just lay down on their mats. And then he would start and he would um, sort of go up your right leg, relax each sort of, you know, muscle and joint. And you would go through them and then left leg and then arms. And then um, before he would begin the practice. So I thought why not do that and also yeah let's let's see how it goes watching this dvd all the way through um which i haven't been able to since he died and or even like a snippet of it but it was actually really good and hearing his voice i don't know it was it was very comforting and so in especially in the relaxation pose corpse pose what he uses it for guided sort of relaxation it was um it was really lovely and um so I'm feeling just feelings (laughs) I don't know how I'm feeling but it's like very feeling and um so then yeah hence the sick twisted humor of referencing (laughs) him as well he's not a corpse because he was uh cremated as uh Indian Hindus um are um and so Anyway, which is interesting then. I don't know. I don't know. I didn't do any research. I never do any research about like the poses. That's what I rely on you for that. So (laughs) I don't know. Since Hindus burn their corpses, how do they? I don't know. (laughs) 
Well, I mean, I guess there's, uh, like, like, you are a corpse even if you don't stay a corpse. Like, mm. you spend time being a corpse. True. You know, like, you're not emolliated. I don't know if that's the verb. Like, the second that you're dead. To burst into flames. Right. <laughs> Which would be pretty impressive. I want someone to... Oh my gosh, I used to be freaked out about spontaneous human combustion when I was a kid. (laughs) Like I literally was worried that that would happen randomly to me or people I live. I used to read those like, believe it or not, type magazines that had like Mm -hmm. the pictures of the fairies and aliens, like all in the whatever, all in black and white grainy photos. And there was always this one that stuck out at me. It was just a lady's leg and the rest of her was ashes. Oh gosh. And it was like spontaneous human combustion spontaneous human I don't they would just obsessed me as a kid (laughs) like I was just for sure someone's gonna but I haven't heard of a recent case no I don't think I don't know we're still but we're still waiting for (laughs) I guess I don't know sorry um yeah but But I guess so just the the bridge between like there is a time spent as a corpse Mm -hmm. before one would be cremated right Mm -hmm. um so i guess that that counts as corpse like (laughs) as like corpse that's true that's true um yeah um i'm so yeah i just feel so like tender towards the time that you spent with this dvd and Mm. and also that um that sort of surreality that's really recent in human history that we can hear the voices of mm-hmm. people who've passed or like see them in I mean in photograph even is yeah. pretty recent I mean let alone in um in physical movement like on a dvd or in video of some mm-hmm. kind um like just the the play with time and perception that that can do to us that is definitely new for our nervous systems Mm-hmm. you know like uh for some reason I'm having a very vague flashback to like a time travel maybe made for tv movie mm. where a girl has a polaroid camera and she's back in time and she takes a picture and it's shocking to the people who don't yet have that technology oh, in wow. time uh but anyway so just also that um I was wondering if it was your dad I was thinking about I couldn't remember where I'd heard someone starting and ending class in Shavasana um and I thought it might have been your dad yeah I think I've mentioned it on yeah. the podcast before so yes yeah maybe um, that was what you heard but I yeah I vaguely remember mentioning that because I'd never seen it again in any yoga class I've gone to yeah yeah um how how was it how was it to spend time in his class it was it was weird <laughs> but it yeah. was also like um, 
like I remembered this sequence and it's this weird, I don't know if it's unique to just the way my dad teaches or the yoga that he learned. Um, But it was, you basically do the 10 minutes of relaxation and then you do like pranayama breath. He was really into that. And then um, for another 10 minutes and then you start with standing postures and then so and it was funny because he used to do these like limbering up exercises that kind of reminded me of like when you were like a kid and played soccer or whatever like you sort of warmed up your knees and then you warmed up your shoulders like by doing like rotations and then the hips and everything and I remember his classes he always he always did that and it never struck me as odd because that's just what I grew up with but obviously never seen it again people just kind of jump right into I mean not jump right into yoga but there's not like that limbering up type thing very kind of um formalized I guess which is how I would sort of describe my dad's classes very just kind of formal um and then you so you do standing up poses um like some triangle uh extended side angle um, sort of, I don't know what the word is, like sort of like a twisted triangle. <laughs> yeah, revolved. Um, yeah, I think that's what he said. And then some balancing poses, and then you go into like um, monkey pose, then camel pose, and then you do some like forward bending, and then um, the shoulder stand into a plow into a bridge Mm. um and then um and all of these are kind of held a little bit longer so um and then i think some like cobra bow and then child's pose Mm -hmm. and then I think yeah and then then you do the relaxation again so it was interesting because it did definitely feel different to like you know no sun salutation oh no before like the very I think the very last pose is um after bow you do the dog downward dog then um cat cow and then relaxation so it's this I don't know. It was almost like reverse of what I'm used to. Um, But it was the same sequence that he always did for his beginner classes my whole entire life. And so it was like remembering that and then like hearing his voice and remembering the things that my, you know, we used to kind of make fun of him, my siblings and I, like the way he would, you know, um, he just had these little sayings that he would do and um, the way he would say like, relax. And then you'd be like, relax the ankle, relax the shin, the front of the thigh, the back of the thigh. Like he had this like (laughs) same kind of um, rhythm and cadence every time he would go through that relaxation. I mean, he did it for (laughs) for many decades every day. Um, So that was it was comforting, but also then odd because I've so much yoga <laughs> not so much but I've practiced some yoga um you know away from him in different types and even the different types still follow like a kind of sequence of um like the sun salutations and then some warrior you know or yeah just like 
so yeah it just got me thinking and it was it was good it was good not to feel sad like I definitely feel like I'm I'm over his death um you know it's been long enough now that it's just more I mean it just is what it is um but and and now I can approach it with a kind of curiosity like who were you and what was your life and how can I look at you not as like a little girl who you know had a pretty kind of not great relationship with him and um and then you know I've been living away from my family as long as like he's been been gone so just just some curiosity and openness and yeah yeah so that's that's just kind of a that's as bad as I'm still processing I guess like I literally just finished it like half an hour before we started this so um and then in um Shavasana my pug freaks out because I don't know what her deal is but I have these stories where her previous owner you know she was found as a stray and taken to the shelter and um I feel like she's witnessed some kind of trauma like there's certain things she doesn't like and if I'm lying down <laughs> not in bed but just laying down on the floor with my eyes closed she starts freaking out and oh, like pawing at me yeah. And um, <laughs> so it's not a, then eventually I can kind of place her so she can like maybe sit on like between my legs or something, you know, and hopefully go to sleep. But like the beginning of Shavasana, she, I think she thinks I'm a corpse. Like she right. really freaks right. out. Um, other things she doesn't like, motorcycles. Um, like she will attack them. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Try to, even if they're going down the street. And um, my roommate had like a antique shotgun at one point and he was bringing it into the house and they were just kind of playing with it and she flipped out, flipped out at it and just was like ready to eat it. So this pug has seen some shit. (laughs) And so that's why it's hard to practice Shavasana around her. But um, anyway, so that's me. How are you? How are you doing? Uh, I am really overwhelmed, mm. and right before we started recording, I I realized that I'm like like I'm really sad oh. right now, and it's not it's not triggered by anything specific slash obvious. Like like clearly there are a lot of things that I could be and may be sad about both in my personal life and on the sort of global scale at this moment, right? So it's, but um, I am unclear about the like particular origin of this sadness, you know? So I was sitting here and I just was like, well, okay, so when we get on we get on air, so to speak, <laughs> and I get asked like how I am, like what I'm like, I'm I am sad. Like um so I'm just it was it was just sort of spending time being like, Alright, so that's 
like just what is so mm. right now you know and I, I guess there's I have uh, you know a sort of intellectual curiosity about why but I think sometimes kind of right alongside that type of curiosity about my sadness or you know things uh, is a like a kind of criticism or harshness like an un an ungentleness that I can have with myself mm -hmm. um, and so like rather than kind of stare deeper or pick at the sadness uh, I was just real like trying to like abide by it a little bit and just be like cool that's just that's just a true like assessment of this moment and it doesn't have to have a logic or I don't have to prove that it's like a permissible sadness or something or an appropriate mm. sadness like they don't have to interrogate it I guess um, yeah so that's that's sort of how I feel slash what I'm doing with how I feel <laughs> right now <laughs> um, and I was I, I went for a walk earlier with my dog and I was thinking a lot about the um, since we had talked about looking at these, the eight limbs of yoga and, and kind of starting with the yamas and that today we are gonna talk about um, satya, which gets the, the most concise translation is sort of truthfulness or like right speech. Um, and so I was kind of walking around like meditating on that idea and thinking about how it seems so simple like mm -hmm. just like tell the truth uh, but that there's like as you get closer to the idea like there's a lot of nuance and I was thinking about like if the next time you and I saw each other you thought my shirt was really ugly <laughs> and if you were just like that's an ugly shirt like uh, that would be like truthful I don't would not imagine that you would ever say that <laughs> to me. I wasn't projecting, uh, I didn't mean to give you the, the main <laughs> line it was in my in my fantasy that I was walking around <laughs> with. Um, but that, um, like in particular, if I didn't ask you what you thought about my right. shirt and you just spontaneously were like, I hate your shirt or whatever, it's just going to get worse. This, this fantasy. Just, <laughs> I'm such mean a mean things. person. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like when you have a dream about someone, they're really horrible, and then you're mad at them in real yeah. life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. I don't feel this way about you. Okay, so, good. You know, it's just, it was just because you and I are the one having the conversation. Yeah. For real, it was you and I in this, you know, pantomime in my brain. Uh, and that there's, there is actually a lot of nuance and layering to like what truth is appropriate and necessary to speak. Right. And like when silence is 
omission and when silence is just like generous mm-hmm. right um yeah and so I mean that was it was sort of related to I don't I'm getting better at it I'm, I'm like trying to practice it but I don't like I don't like saying that I'm sad yeah um, so it's actually an, a really uncomfortable truth to uh, acknowledge and to give and then also to allow it. I'm obviously doing a terrible job because I'm rambling on about it, but uh, <laughs> to like allow it to be a truth without having to do more to it or to like defend it or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I guess I was, I was thinking a bit about like... <laughs> it's hard when you're recording a podcast because you gotta say things um, (laughs) that that truthfulness isn't just saying the truth but it's sort of um, like cultivating a way of telling the truth or a way of speaking and communicating that that does what you want it to do I guess Mm -hmm. yeah can I go back to your ugly shirt? <laughs> yeah, talk, talk. My shirt actually today, uh, my shirt's all right. I don't think you would think it was ugly, but. Well, I just, I mean, I know it was just like sort of an example you were thinking yeah. like to, to highlight the, the satya, but, yeah. you know, I, I think that as humans, we talk about truth and not truth in a way that, I mean, I don't think there's really any, and this is like, I don't want to sound like super like weird about, you know, but I don't think there's many things that are the truth, you know? And so I could think that your shirt is ugly, but obviously you didn't. And, (laughs) you know, so am I the truth? Is like my view of it the truth or is your view of it? of it the truth you're like this is an awesome shirt and I'm like it's an ugly shirt so you know and plus you're right like if I just said that to you without just thinking oh that's an interesting shirt like you know in my head wonder why you know Reagan chose that particular shirt to wear because it's so (laughs) I can't I can't imagine how ugly this shirt is I'm trying but that's the thing like unless it was the ultimate truth like the gods created the ugliest shirt as the ultimate like truth Mm. but then you would know it was ugly too and so you (laughs) so you know that that's a very different example than like you know a deep emotion that you feel but what I picked up on that I feel when I feel like just super sad or like just not wanting to participate in the world or anything and um is that anger at myself like and sometimes I wonder if I'm more angry because I just don't feel like I think I'm supposed to um you know and and how much is it you know, even the word sad, like, has so many different truths for different people. Like, some people, they're like, oh, I'm sad. My, I dropped my pen and I lost it, <laughs> you know. Or there's, like, deep, deep, like, depression and, you know, just almost like a numbness 
that is it yeah and so I'm really sorry to hear that you're feeling like for you because I know like for you to admit it and say it and talk about it it must be a pretty deep feeling that it feels almost I don't know like unshakable or like unknowable and maybe maybe that's the only truth to it is that it's just like there is this dimension of feeling that is not doesn't just doesn't feel right and I think you know on the flip side of that and we've talked about a little bit before about the word word or emotion happiness like the opposite of sadness is happiness and actually at the end of my dad's dvd he was you know after you know the relaxation and everything and um he was like you know be happy and then thank you for practicing and so it's just like that that (laughs) those words like be happy um and you hear it a lot in like my other yoga DVD, the punk rock yoga DVD, which I've written about on my blog, she, you know, she quotes the Dalai Lama at the end and says, the purpose of life is to be happy. But I mean, just like the word sad, people use the word happy for so many different things. And just being happy doesn't alleviate sadness in the same way I feel so like what is the truth of happiness the same way what is the truth of sadness and Mm. um and I know that yoga is meant to bring that sense of ease or bliss you know there's different words in English at least that can mean way more than happy or sad and and how do we sort of look at them in this way that they're sort of like like if we're on like a seesaw and like how to balance between the two. Um, right. right. So did you get to practice at all today or? Um, yeah, I did. So I, I was hoping, so I actually, uh, I had the only, like if I wanted to go to a class, I would have had to have gone to a class today at nine o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wanted a class mm-hmm. uh, so I set my alarm and um and then I stayed up too late watching TV on my computer and so when the alarm was going off I, I like snoozed it a few times and then I must have turned it off completely yeah. um so I woke up too late to go to class um, um but I think I probably did need the the sleep yeah um, at that point because uh, I did it I did it to myself by staying up too late um but I did, what I did is I did a really gentle 20-minute sequence of asana, and then I did lay in Shavasana for an extended period of time, because um, I knew we were going to talk about it <laughs> today, so I was like, um, so today was just, you know, I kind of, I didn't have a long intricate practice or anything I kind of just was like all right like you're gonna move a little bit and then you're gonna lay down Reagan Louise um and it was in in Shavasana where I first kind of um I first kind of touched in on the fact that 
how I feel today is, is sad, um, and overwhelmed. Um, and like one thing that I find really significant about that I have found in yoga is that room to be able to acknowledge those emotions or sensations that I'm experiencing. Um, without almost like without fueling them or without being in the midst of them or in a tumult of them. Uh, so there's, and I'm, it's not like I live in this place. I just want to like preface it <laughs> with that. But um, there's, uh, I don't know that I would call it bliss or like the word that just came to mind is serenity. And like, even that mm. feels a little bit grandiose for it. But there's a, a like a serene quality that I can find that is almost like a halo that can exist that touches whatever the you know whatever the feeling is whether it's sadness or frustration or joy or whatever that mm -hmm. there's like an equanimity that's um, mm -hmm. kind of outside of that that I can I can find myself able to. Um, like get out into that space and be able to name whatever that internal, maybe more heightened quality is without getting overcome by it. Hmm. Um, and so I feel like, and I don't want to like presume what all the old yogis meant or what the Dalai Lama means or what other yoga teachers mean, but like a lot of times for me, that's the that's the place I'm trying to find mm. um and it's it's not to then like eliminate the sadness or shush the sadness or eliminate the joy and shush the joy or any of those but to be sort of with those sensations in a way that is sort of stable mm -hmm. in some way um and so that's, you know, that's something that I'm finding with, like, today feeling sad is that, like, I don't feel bowled over by it or I don't feel that I need, it doesn't feel dramatic mm -hmm. or that it needs to perform itself in any real external way, you know? Like, sort of with it, I'm just like, oh, right. Like, I am sad. Like, that is truthful, and I can give that sadness the amount of room that it needs to uh, be itself, <laughs> to, like, personify the sadness, uh, and then to sort of be able to be somehow both within it and around it, I guess. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And... Yeah. Yeah. I had this really interesting experience yesterday. I was at Trader Joe's and I heard the guy, um, not behind me in line, but behind me at the like adjacent register. 
And the checkout person asked this guy how he was, and he said, oh, I'm having a lot of complicated health issues. I have this head injury, blah, blah, blah. And so we kind of finished up at the same time, and I, I, I sort of just like, hey, um, I hope this isn't weird, but, you know, I heard you, I heard what you said about your head injury, and, like, you know, I, I have a head injury, and um, we, we ended up talking outside for a while and exchanged numbers, and um, uh, he was really receptive. He wasn't, he didn't think I was a weirdo, <laughs> which I was grateful for. Um, and one thing that was so nice about communicating with each other was being able to say some of the same things I might say to any other person, right? To you or to my mom or to any friend. Uh, but because he's going through something similar, if not, I mean, everyone's head injury is going to be their own internal experience, but there were some ways that it could overlap. And so, like, like the truth-telling was different between us. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because we're lying to other people or other people are lying to us when they're empathizing. You know, like, it's not, it's not the only, it's not that the only, uh, the only options are truth or lie, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there was something so relieving to share a truth together mm-hmm. that um, like felt really meaningful and significant and um, there was something to that for me about this way that like stories and truth telling kind of one of the things they can do is build community mm. You know, and this way that um, this first set of the first limb of yoga, the yamas, are they're about relationship with others. You know, they're very social based. Yeah. Um, they're also internal. Like you, you have to be, or not, you have to, be, you must be. <laughs> <laughs> it is said from on high. Uh, the suggestion is, <laughs> the suggestion is. Uh, that you would apply them to yourself as well. So, like, you, if you're practicing ahimsa or nonviolence, you would have practiced, you'd be practicing that with yourself. And if you're practicing truth telling, you're practicing that with yourself. But that, in addition to that, you extend that out into into relationship with with your people and your society and and your world. Um, and so that experience it was not that I've been I guess it's true there are people who I am specifically not telling that I have a head injury Mm. um and I have reasons for that you know uh which and I don't think I am lying do you know what I mean yeah like I'm not I'm not if they were to ask me the specific question for some spontaneous reason do you have a head injury I would answer yes, right? <laughs> uh, but contextually, that's not what's happening. Right. Um, but that in this case with this stranger, being able to say it and him being able to say it back and us being able to share that, um, like, built something between us that we otherwise wouldn't have had. Like, we would have just been strangers passing by each right. other in, tra- in the Trader Joe's parking lot, you know? One thing that I was thinking about when you were you were mentioning, you know, how you weren't so much 
lying to us about how you felt, but like it felt more truthful or something like some, the concept I was trying to sort of maybe get at before with the shirt <laughs> is yes, that yeah. so much of truth and lying is about one's perception of reality. Right. Yeah. And like, how do you ever know if something's true or not? You know, that goes back to, like, you know, philosophy 101 in college or something. Right. But um, but I think that it's hard to connect maybe a truth, like your truth, like you're feeling like, okay, you know, I have a head injury and it's affecting me in this way and this. And you're talking to people who, who haven't experienced that, who don't have it at that time. And so our perception of reality is different from your perception of reality, right? Yeah. So... So you're always going to feel like there's like something not in, in balance or something there. But speaking to someone who whose reality that is as well, you're, yeah, you're speaking on the same plane in a sense. Like it's, you know, you yeah. sort of through the clouds, clouded reality between one human being to another because, you know, I'm the girl that hates the shirt and you're the girl that likes the shirt. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's, that's interesting about, about, you know, feeling with this stranger, some sort of more like that when you said the words, I have a head injury, like it sort of resonated from you in a sense of, I'm saying this and I'm not getting any kind of resistance or non-belief or not even non-belief, but just like non-understanding in a real sense of what you're going through. Um, so I'm glad that, are you going to talk to this person again, do you think? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. We, um, so we exchanged numbers and, and he similarly, I think, was so relieved to find someone else and said that he had been feeling lonely with mm. it. Um, so mm -hmm. there was something for both of us that um, was really, like we were both very grateful to just talk to another person who mm -hmm. has gone through something similar and whose life has been so drastically altered um, by, by having a head injury and, um, yeah, there was something I was going to say, but I can't remember mm -hmm. what I say. Oh, uh, this is, it's a bit of a jump, but I was going to say that I, uh, in the in the yoga class that I did take this week, uh, I did cry in Shavasana, so I just wanted to update everyone. I'm still crying in every yoga class <laughs> that I take. But you cried in Shavasana, not in pigeon pose. Yeah, no, I don't. I think I started to feel emotional in Pigeon Pose, but I didn't cry until she lost it. Wow. Yeah. Um, Can you describe, like, was it just almost crying out of relief that you were done with the class? Or, like, were you in pain? Or was it just some kind of weird release that happened in the middle of it, of your Shavasana? Yeah, it was... Um, so I had... I can't... Gosh, I'm trying to remember, like... The, from the last time we spoke till now because I'm pretty sure I've cried every day since then too mm -hmm. um so 
So just if everybody's keeping track with uh, their calendars, <laughs> like how often Reagan's crying, just like keep X out all the days, still crying every day. Um, and I think in that class, it was this way that, because I, I was also having some of that like quivering that I am, I am under the not understanding that this particular type of um, neuromuscular quivering is a trauma release Mm. and that I am experiencing either that it is concurrent with an emotional release or that the part of me that is emotional is like in, in some way like witnesses the trauma response and then feels emotional about it or with it like it's so close together that I don't know I don't know if they're happening from the same... I mean, they're all happening in my body, so it's all mm-hmm. happening from the same source. Or they're all mm-hmm. happening from my selfhood, so they're coming from the same source. But um, I think it was just still, like, this release of trauma and grief that is so... Um, It's so total when it's happening that it's not, uh, it's not really narrative, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm not like, oh, this particular time that I'm crying is because I lost my home. Or this particular time that I'm crying is because I liked that guy and he doesn't want to talk to me. Or this particular crying is because my dad is slowly, like, declining. You know, it's like, or that my body got went through so much. It's like sometimes the the crying is just coming like of its own volition or it sort of is a flood Mm -hmm. when it happens. And similarly to like the way that I said, I'm just trying to like let the sadness be without interrogating it super hard. I'm similarly trying to let the crying happen and the tremoring happen without jumping too hard in with like my brain or my consciousness or my narrative making part of Mm, myself mm -hmm. and just kind of be like so there's some more crying (laughs) there's there it is again (laughs) with some more crying um and what what I noticed was like I cried for some time I don't know it's so hard to tell time uh with when you're having feelings, you know, like what what may have felt like a minute probably wasn't even a minute because a minute is actually a long time when you're laying on the ground. Uh, but then afterwards, I did find some quiet that wasn't that's quality was stillness. Mm-hmm. You know, so it wasn't, I wasn't thinking a lot or I wasn't feeling a lot of like emotions or sensations. Like I just got really quiet and still. Um, and I was really grateful for that. So I, I think last time we spoke on the podcast, um, we, had chosen Shavasana because you were 
you weren't able to do, like at least in that first week, weren't able to do any other type of like more vigorous poses. Um, So I think it was a couple, maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Mm. Um, And you were also, the last episode, you were also talking about um, coming off a medication. And then did you get a new one? Oh, yeah. Okay, so two things. I guess I'll answer about both of those things. So I was given, after that first week, um, sort of permission to uh, do physical things again. Okay. Um, so so there was, there was a about almost a week where um, my practice was meditation and um, I wasn't doing a lot of, I should have been since we said Shavasana, but I was doing a lot of laying on the ground with my knees bent over my bed. Um, so it's a kind of a modified Shavasana, mm, mm-hmm. you know, um, but I was finding that that was really soothing. And then I was given, after I saw the doctor again, um, permission to be physical in, in more ways. Um, and I have been prescribed a new medication, uh, but I haven't taken it. Mm-hmm. And I think my hesitation is around... Uh, sort of playing prescription roulette a little bit and just like trying the next thing. And I had such a negative reaction to the first prescription. And I feel that in some ways I lost like a whole month to it. Mm. Like, you know, I was, I was on it for about two weeks before I realized, you know, and the, the accumulation of side effects was, accumulative right so it didn't happen right away but it took time to realize I was having them and then it took time to get off of the medication completely so like all told it's it did take about a month yeah and um I'm just hesitating about doing that again yeah right now um I did go and get um my medical marijuana um I wanted to say certification, but I don't think that's the exact <laughs> card? card. Is it just a card? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a word for it, but I got the card that allows me to go and get. So what I have been using is some like a CBD oil, like cream uh, for pain. And I've been finding that that is helping with body pain. Um, mm. I don't think it's changing my headache situation, but some of the other sources of pain do seem to be responding to that um yeah so it's not 100 percent legal in california uh not yet i think next year oh okay it uh, it's funny i was it's since it's been legal in oregon i'm always just like well maybe i should you know i like smoking sometimes like i should should get it but I just haven't. So weird. It's like they legalize it and you're like, nah, I'm not interested <laughs> in it anymore. It's lost its. Um. I do have a funny story about about it. Because um, I, so the, the oil or the cream rather is like, uh, it's 
one-to-one THC to CBD. So um, it says, like, you might you might feel some psychoactive effects. I actually haven't that much, but um, when I first used it, I was sitting around, um, you know, in my parents' house, just kind of, um, you know, like that end of the day where you're just sort of sitting there letting the day end. Mm-hmm. And I something seems sort of like blurry or off with my eyes and it it was a motion in a certain direction and I was like whoa am I am I like hallucinating a little bit (laughs) and I was like whoa that stuff must be really strong or I might just be really sensitive to it and I was like all right so that's good that I tried it and I know that it like can have this effect right so I was really like all right so it'll just be a thing we do at night and you know it's sort of like adjusting my whole experience to it and it kept happening I just kept seeing this sort of like slightly the slight movement across my vision um and then at a certain point I realized that it was an ant walking on the rim of my glasses (laughs) so I was seeing this sort of like blurred like figure in my vision but it was not hallucinating it was just an ant uh, yeah. So Reagan's yeah. adventures in perception. Let me tell you about this time I got really high, but then I wasn't high. There was just an ant. I wasn't high. It was just an ant. <laughs> that um, is adorable. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious. Um, one thing I was thinking about with Shavasana like as like a macro commentary on Shavasana uh, is is that literal practice of preparing oneself for death Mm. Um, and that um, there's so much like avoidance and apprehension about death in Mm -hmm. <laughs> the culture <laughs> that we live in um and it's um there's not a lot of um there's not really that practice in uh in in my experience of western culture right? and and neither the catholicism i was raised with like nor the judaism that is sort of adjacent to it i don't know i don't know as much about if there's a practice in in judaism but i feel like in in like western culture in general i'm just gonna put it in some air quotes um like death is elsewhere or it's kept separate or it's sort of abject and taboo and scary um Mm -hmm. and that there's this way that like quite literally like corpse pose part of the practice can be like like surrendering to that inevitability and um like spending time in a state that a good majority of the time i find in shavasana is like delicious Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't haven't had anxious savasanas or savasanas or times where I couldn't get myself to settle down, but I I feel that often I get given a really nice state that 
if death is like that, I'm, like, down for it. <laughs> like, I don't mean, like, today I'm down for it, but, like, I don't feel afraid of that. Like, if it is a surrendering over into a kind of peaceful, I don't know, like, unity with, like, the the infinite. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and... I I was reading. I don't know. Did you read all the way through the Argonauts? I didn't. No, because okay. I borrowed yeah. it like an ebook from the library, and then they take okay. it back when it expires. And then yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. It's not a narrative, really, but spoiler anyway. Just in case people want to read it. Um, towards the end, there are these parallel interwoven narratives, and um. The writer of the book, Maggie Nelson, is writing about her experience giving birth. And Mm -hmm. her partner, Harry, is writing about being with uh, his mother when she was passing. And Mm. I stayed up. I couldn't. I was rereading it. And I just kind of had one of those nights where you're like, I'm going hard. I'm just going to get all the way through this book and I want it. And I'm going to stay up late. Like a, like a kid with her flashlight. Like just, I just didn't want to go. And I was reading Harry's account of being with his mother and just sobbing and weeping. And it's so beautiful. And the way that Harry describes the, the like surrendering over into death. Um, kind of felt to me like the way that I like when I'm in Shavasana and I'm allowing that pose to really have to do with death right and have to do with mortality and have to do with that this body is temporal um, that it might and it's not, I don't particularly have like a supreme fear of death, but I don't know, somehow reading that and having corpse pose and Shavasana on my mind this week, like really, I spent time thinking like, wow, like maybe it's, you know, when it's not a violent death, right? Like when it's not a, an assault or a violence mm-hmm. or an untimely death, but like when, when death comes in its own course. I don't really know how to language that, you know, but when when there's the opportunity to experience death as like something you're receiving, mm-hmm. um, that, that it could be, like that it could be beautiful. There's this book I read ages ago um, and now I'm wanting to reread it because I can't really remember the philosophy behind it, but it it was by a philosopher or maybe a psychologist or psychology philosopher um, called uh, Ernest Beckett. Ernest Becker. Ernest Becker, and it's called The Denial of Death. And um, he... I remember reading it and just being like, whoa, this is amazing. Like back in, you know, college when I was thinking about these things all the time. Um, And he sort of writes about how human beings, especially in the West, basically live their lives 
denying death and and it allows us to do awful things like it allows us to like on a huge human scale like um like there's this idea of just trying to remember I'll have to reread it but there's like this idea that like he compares human actually I don't even know if it's about humans in the west but just humans as opposed to like animals who Mm. who really do just move through life their lives on instinct like they you know they're hungry or they need to um reproduce or they um you know they have you know they might fight as a defense but um but they're not they they live with the knowledge of death or not even the knowledge it's so it's such a weird it's a hard concept but he was basically saying like denying the fact that we're going to die and that other people are going to die makes us feel superior and immortal and then in that realm we act toward each other like like that's where conflict arises because it's almost like this battle of who is greater um and so he says like you know things like war and genocide and murder and you know those things that are um belong to human beings (laughs) almost exclusively you know you don't necessarily see animals going out and murdering each other if they're not doing it for food like hunting for food um that I know of at least but um in general oh maybe my cat my cat likes to murder things for the fun (laughs) of it but um (laughs) but if we kind of not that we just sit around waiting to die (laughs) or but but that we would have some sort of empathy or like awareness that I think I like what you said about like sort of moving into the infinite because I think you know especially with Hinduism you know um, and there's that idea of rebirth and um, karma and you know, that your soul that moves, you know, that your body is just, you know, um, a shell at this point for this life. And then you either through, you know, practicing a good life, you sort of attain wholeness and completeness and merge with the universe, or you are born again to learn new lessons. Um, And so our fear of dying and this sort of almost like um, pathology of ignoring the fact that we're going to die or that others are and like this preoccupation with Mm. um, and I'm probably totally bastardizing it. It's just like totally what I remember from when I was reading these types of things like (laughs) many, many years ago. Um, but I remember that stuck with me a lot because at that point, I'd never really known anyone 
who'd passed away. Like I, I, I knew of people like say from my high school and friends of friends, but that I wasn't in high school anymore. So I hadn't seen that person. So it was this kind of concept that they had passed away. But, um, but yeah, it wasn't until my dad died that I kind of ever went to a funeral or sort of someone was there and then they weren't. And then I saw them, you know, I, saw his body um in the hospice and it comforted me knowing that he had that philosophy of of death and that he was from a place in the world where you know it was more like there was um sort of more meaning I guess and maybe that's sort of why we and I and I'm sure he touched on it in the book but why human beings build these religions and these places of purpose and other um holding cells for them (laughs) for their souls like heaven or whatever um but yeah I think that I'm kind of tangentially talking about what you were talking about, like yeah. practicing it and just sort of feeling that in your body, like feeling almost like the absolute like stillness of a world and universe bigger than just ourselves yeah. and absorbing ourselves into it. Cause that's what I, you know, kind of feel when I, again, when you're really in it, in shavasana you're not thinking about it you're not intellectualizing it but you know those times when i do fully feel like i'm fully relaxed in that pose is when i just don't feel anything (laughs) i just sort of feel part of everything um very fleeting very very fleeting but um you know there's no thought there's no uh happy or sad there's no like past or future it's just kind of like this suspendedness and and maybe that is actually what happiness is like it's not like yay happy yay joy whatever but it's just this like oneness this wholeness um but yeah i gotta read that book again denial of death and i've got to finish the argonauts because that narrative sounds amazing like so good (laughs) so i reviewed this book once um it was called like cartwheels and a sari or something like that it sounds terrible but um this woman was like like grew up in like a yoga kind of cult um and like the guru guy was dodgy in a number of ways um and and her parents were part of it so that's why she was part of it and then she was sort of writing this memoir about it should she get addicted? I don't know. Gosh, I'm referencing all those these books that I read like 15 years ago. So I'm just like, and then this happened, and then something else happened, and but um, I think toward the end she was recounting, like I think like her, and I don't know if this is true or not, but if she just sort of put it in there for the book, but I think like her child was like born on the same day that this guru died or something and it was just like what <laughs> like it was kind <laughs> of like a weird memoir throughout the whole thing but then that part I was like 
what? Like, that's insane. Like, those parallels. Like, my my dad, when he was dying, because he had cancer, and he lived for about six months um, after he, he got his diagnosis, my sister-in-law was pregnant and found out she was sort of pregnant at the same time. And so while he was sort of exiting this world, my niece was growing into it yeah yeah. and I know that we try and attach meaning to things that aren't there but there's been other things like that I've heard of in the same way like just you know not my stories to tell but like recently I've had a friend who who was going through some loss but then also at that time found out they were pregnant and Mm. so yeah I just it's weird sorry I didn't mean that no 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 yeah like even without adding any like metaphysics to it right like like that continuum of the way that like life is like like coming in and life is on its like that there is like a continuum Mm -hmm. right and that that does happen through lineage like it's it is like multiple and like it is like all over life like everything from you know the plants to the animals to like like mm-hmm. that's happening those cycles but also like that literally happens through our lineage right mm-hmm. <laughs> like like in order for us to be here right now mm-hmm. like we had to come forth through people who came forth through people who came forth through people who are no longer here right like even yeah. if it isn't necessarily one generation back it's like like the stuff that we're made of that makes us particular in a certain way comes from people who are not alive right now <laughs> you yeah. know like and that in that way like we are kind of constantly in a relationship with with death too right you know um Yeah, I remember um, as I was leaving the desert, I found this this thing that was really significant to the time when my grandfather passed. And it had broken, and I had known that I would want to give it a significant moment of letting go. So it's kind of held on to it through, like, losing the mold home and moving to the desert and everything being complicated. And then I was like, all right, so if I'm I'm packing up again, I think it's time. And... um, and I took it out into the open space of my of near my home in the desert, and I, I brought sage out and I like buried this object, and I had a really uh, like subtle moment of just really thinking about the fact that I'm on the planet because my grandfather existed, mm. you know, and that mm-hmm. like without him and his life, like there is no me, mm. and. You know, and I, you know, he was a human, so he was complicated, right? And I have a lot of love and tenderness for him, and I also have aspects of him that I have uh, a more difficult time appreciating, maybe a (laughs) diplomatic way of saying it. Uh, You know, one part of what I felt in that moment was like, whoa, like, I hope if your consciousness, if it is possible that our consciousness uh continues on in some way 
like, I hope that those parts of us that are imperfect, that we get to, like, like we get the freedom to, like, acknowledge that, that our, that our consciousness can, like, recognize our flaws on into death right yeah Um, and I don't know if that is true or not but I was like well I hope you know sort of like hey I hope you feel differently now that you're dead (laughs) like like, and not in like a mean I don't mean it like viciously like I almost meant it I don't know if this sounds arrogant like I meant it generously right like I meant like oh hey like now that you're part of the infinite I hope that those limitations are no longer there oh totally like, there's, um, like, a level of understanding that is beyond, like, earthly bullshit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I was, like, also, like, thank you. Like, as much as I'm having a moment of, like, reflecting on you as, like, a fallible human being that I loved, also just, like, thank you for my life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, like regardless of who you were or weren't, like, I only exist because you existed. And... Like, that puts me in a total relationship to you and to your mortality as well. Like, because also, if we didn't die, there would be too many of us. <laughs> There's already so, too many like, of us. You know? There's way too many human beings. Yeah. I know all this talk, I was like, oh, my God, maybe I want to have a baby and feel that infinite life and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, ah, oh, there's too many human beings. <laughs> <laughs> not to say that it's not awesome for people who have babies, but that was just something that I'm always like, there's so many people. Yeah. So many people. But, yeah, um, right. And then we wouldn't, I mean – There'd be too many of us. We wouldn't learn anything. I mean, everything that's alive dies. And, like, this is, I mean, I guess not the trees or the trees live the longest, like the one that you, unless we Mm. cut them down. But, um, like, the one that you met who stayed in the same place for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's really weird. It's really weird. And I think that this is, like, <laughs> I hate flying. Like, I hate airplanes because mm. I'm just terrified, you know, you're, even though they're safer than cars. It's like I'm going to die in this horrible plane crash and it's going to fall out of the sky. You know, it's so weird. But And I'd always had this crazy anxiety about it. But after my dad died and I was flying back to the United States you know I got I was in Australia for about a month after he had passed away um and then you know it's time to go back to the U.S. which was my new home and I had this like sense of calmness (laughs) the whole plane flight back because I was like you know if I do die in an awful plane crash like at least I know that there's someone waiting for me Mm. and it was this weird comfort like this weird comfort and you know I think about that too like it's almost like in remembering or acknowledging the fact that we will die and the fact that you know loved ones have passed on I mean if and I'm just gonna say I would 
I believe in some kind of afterlife. I don't know what it is. You know, don't call it heaven or hell or anything. I definitely don't believe in hell. But some kind of like soul place. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And it is, it's like there's all those people there that we are made up of there. And that is comforting. And And it's hard to talk about stuff like that, like, and even like before when you were talking about like corpse pose and there was this kind of like deliciousness to it, I was like, oh no, I hope no one thinks that we're like advocating like dying is the best thing to do or whatever. <laughs> but it's like that weird thing where death should be, I mean, we shouldn't, f- we shouldn't just like ignore it and just do things and be like, oh, I'm going to die anyway. So I'm just going to be gung ho. But it's like, where is that lesson to be sweet with the life that we have and open and and receiving it right. and also knowing that it's not permanent like when things are hard or bad like that that impermanence of it, of it all and yeah. that's a really hard concept to balance and i think that that's really where for someone like me who does you know suffer from really extreme anxiety um and I take medication for it and I don't think I couldn't maybe after years of <laughs> doing yoga or something maybe I'll be able to not take Zoloft anymore but um but I sort of I need that just to function in a semi-normal way um but yeah, like that, just like, t- and again, and it's anxiety about things that aren't even presenting themselves. Like I'm worrying about what ifs, you know, that may never happen. And so it's not even, you know, going back to like talking about reality and truth and realities. It's like I freak out over things that aren't even reality. Right, <laughs> and right. because my mind just, is like traveling to each universe where every single possibility could happen and it's only the worst things that are ever happening. (laughs) And I'm so worried about it. But then in the times of my life when really, really bad shit has happened, it's, it's awful, but it's okay. Like it's, it's manageable, like nothing. And I haven't been through like ordeals like other people have around the world, but the things that I have been through that have been absolutely terrible for me, like, and my dad's death is not even up there with the worst things that have happened mm. to me. Like that in itself was, you know, awful, but not, you know, he was, yeah. It, but just getting through those things that you just don't think are survivable <laughs> right. is right. Um, like we can do it. Yeah, I still worry about like just stupid shit. Like I don't even know what I'm anxious about. I'm just anxious right. and have right. panic attacks and um yeah gosh human beings we're so weird yeah I mean it's so so weird it's so challenging I mean I you know my my teacher and I I don't know if I've talked about this or not on the podcast I think I might have um the way that you know like all these practices say like over and over like hey like get present like hey get present like Mm. get present and he's like you know they say it over and over because it's hard like you know mm-hmm. and and I think similarly like uh you know the practice of 
like acceptance of death or like acceptance of the changeability right or impermanence or the practice of like equanimity or all those things like if you got them just once like if you someone just had to say like hey why don't you just be chill and if like that worked like right you know what I mean? like if you're like oh right i never, oh, thought, right. I never right. thought of that <laughs> i'll just do that now but that yeah. like it is like a practice right and like i don't i'm not the type of like yoga proselytizer that would ever say to you like yeah like if you just practice yoga right you would never <laughs> need your like anti-anxiety anxiety meds because like I don't know that like and I would never right. presume to know that you know like what I have experienced is like regardless of whether or not you want to get off of the left or that that would be a future you may or may not have that like I do like I I would say like I have found like the practice of yoga has given me like a tool that I am sometimes able to apply to mm-hmm. high stress situations or to moments of anxiety or moments of despair mm-hmm. or moments of confusion right that like as I do it throughout my life, you know, in the like decade plus that I've been doing it, I have found like a greater access to a part of me that can at least say like, hey, so what you're doing right now is like having some anxiety. Mm -hmm. And like, it doesn't mean the anxiety goes away, like the same way that saying I'm sad doesn't make the sadness go away. Mm -hmm. It just like creates a little bit of space around it that then Mm -hmm. I feel like freer to make choices yeah right um and that 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 might be just like the same way that the anti-anxiety medication is a tool like that's it it can be like another tool you know yeah like and and I think that uh you know whether or not like like I won't know till I'm dead whether practicing shavasana like helped me be better at dying you know (laughs) like I just like that's not information I will have right uh until I'm not alive anymore but regardless like as a as like a relationship to death or as a relationship to mortality I think that it is like useful Mm -hmm. in like as as best I can tell it's useful so I've read a couple of things that have said that Shavasana, corpse pose, looks like the easiest pose, but really is the hardest pose. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so for me, that being in the present or like when they're like, just let your thoughts roll by like a cloud or, you know, let go of all your thoughts. Like I think about thinking about thinking, about thinking all the time. Like there is no stopping the stream of, and I think that people with anxiety can relate to that because all you're doing is thinking yourself crazy. Um, You know, thinking about usually worst case scenarios Mm -hmm. and, and just really dissecting like and trying to theorize about every little minutia. So it's really hard for me to turn my brain off. Um, Yeah. And so 
as I start trying to do that, I've noticed in Shavasana, like I will twitch, like I'll twitch and I'll move and I'm like, oh, my ankle's not right or oh, my shoulder's feeling weird. Like I can never lay still. And then if I am something that my dad's in the DVD, it was like, you know, relax your, relax your face, you know, don't move your eyes or your eyelids, just like still. And I'm just like, of course, then I'm like blinking. <laughs> I'm just like, what, what, my eyes? Um, but the one thing that I love, and I love that our podcast is called Soft Jaw, is when anytime a yoga teacher says, like, now soften your jaw, like release tension in your jaw, or as my dad says, jaws, <laughs> which was really funny, release your jaws. <laughs> and I know he really liked that movie, so maybe he was just saying it for that. But yeah. that in English is his second language, but <laughs> release your jaws. Um, but yeah. That, when I do that, holy crap, it's like a wave of calmness just floods over me. Like, and all I have to do, I mean, you don't even know it, but I, I might not even be clenching my teeth, but like some, there's always some kind of tension in my face or in my mouth. That's, and so it's just like, if there's anything that I do when I'm in corpse pose, even if I'm thinking about a billion different things, even if I'm like worried about my, you know, worried about whatever's going to happen after class or I'm like got some itch on my ankle or something. Like if I just like stop and like soften my jaw, <laughs> it's like going from zero to a million in calmness. Yeah. It's crazy. that Just that little thing or like relaxing your eyes, like feel your like, or they say, like, relax the space between your eyes. And it's just like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's amazing. Like, that, that like, subtle, like, things like, you know, relax your feet. Like, you're not really doing anything, but your brain just, like, switches into, like, awareness. And so it's weird. Like, you're, you're through awareness, you're becoming less aware of yourself, like you're you're focusing on things and letting them go like you know think about your jaw is it tense let it go and then it's suddenly it's um yeah there's that 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 feeling of relaxation that happens and but yeah I don't know like another thing in corpse pose like I always my back always seems to hurt Mm. and I don't know if that's just you know, as I get better at yoga, my body is sort of feels a bit more at ease. I mean, there's sometimes I can. Is it your eat, low back? My low back. Yeah. Um, I wonder about like bending your knees and letting your like, so your feet are flat and they're a mm-hmm. little bit wider than your hips and then let your knees support each other. So your knees come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have done that before, yeah. but then I'm like, but I'm not really doing the corpse pose. Oh, but you are. I mean, if, if the, I mean, I, my feeling is like if the back pain is just, I mean, first off, your back's in pain, mm-hmm. but also if, if that's to the point that it's like taking you out of the ease. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, we would do it all the time with like a bolster under our legs uh-huh. or, you know, there's, a, there's versions of like restorative Shavasana that are like supported in all manner of ways. So you're not not doing it. Okay. Like, good. Your knees are bent. Okay. Good. I give you permission. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Good. I mean, sometimes it's not as bad, but like then when I try and get out of it, like even just to then bend my knees and turn, it's like my low back is always just like, yeah. So yeah, yeah, like there's, and then like 
trying to position my shoulders and head correctly like it's not just laying down you can't just lay down on the floor it's like the weird adjustments and actually on my dad's dvd as you know you did the cat and cow after like that was like kind of the last thing that you did it kind of like limbered you up a bit and then it was like okay now sit down and then like bend your knees and then slowly lower down and keep your knees bent and it was like a good couple minutes like getting into shavasana and i don't think a lot of yoga classes that i've been to at least do that it's just kind of like find your relaxation pose and get into it but it was like but then you're then then suddenly you're supposed to be doing it and you might not be (laughs) in the correct formation for you to fully relax and yes that might not be with like your legs straight out on the floor it might be them bent like you said um but yeah sometimes like when they're like okay now we're relaxed i'm like oh crap like, I don't want to move because I'm trying to relax, but my shoulder feels a little weird. And I'm always noticing that I'm like moving around <laughs> or fidgeting or just thinking. And so, but yeah, there's times when like, you know, like the back of my head is there and then it takes some angling of my shoulders to feel them, like not feel them, I guess, to not right, feel them. Right, to get to the place where they're mm-hmm. not in the way the ease yeah yeah and like usually most classes end with like a minute of shavasana so you can't really get yourself into a really good position but but yeah i when it like uh, that's why i love restorative classes because they always give you tons of time (laughs) in shavasana yeah i'm an advocate of of the longer shavasana Mm -hmm. for sure Mm -hmm. i I think even if you you know even if you were able to get get there fast right like even if like you could just like from wherever get down into shavasana and you don't need to make too many adjustments um you know a minute is fine but there's like a richness and depth that i think comes with Mm -hmm. a longer duration there and it is also the pose it's intended for the whole practice to like integrate there, you know, so everything that you've done for whatever amount of time, you're giving your body the opportunity to like absorb it and Mm. to integrate it and to let it all like, like metabolize Mm. a little bit. And so a minute just seems rather stingy um, for that, but Those are, those are the constraints, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I know. And that's like, you know, if I'm going to the gym and it's just an hour yoga class, like they want to maximize the like feeling of working out. And so, yeah. you know, that's sort of partly why home practice is good. But then unless you have a little pug who freaks out mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're in Shavasana, um, but finding, like, I want to find a class and a regular one. I think the restorative yoga that I go to is pretty good for that. But, yeah, like, even incorporating more of that aspect. Like, I don't even want to call it the spiritual side, just like the meditation and relaxation side of it. Um, 
you know, starting off in corpse pose and then doing, you know, your poses and then finishing in it. And it's like, at first I was like, wow, this is not a lot of standing poses. But I remember like with my dad, like he was in the best physical shape ever. And he only did that as exercise. And then he had people who came to his classes and they, you know, if we're looking at it from a physical standpoint, it's like, and there was people who came to his classes like five days a week. Like they were just doing his routine five days a week. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, they looked like really in really good shape. And yet it wasn't this vigorous type of, you know, um, like sun salutations and all well, of that kind of stuff. Power yoga. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so it's just kind of like there is something to be said for like the alignment of the realignment of your body and then the calmness that comes with with concentrating on the like relaxation and meditation side of it um that is a different type of health than just like having a buff bod right right but you know i think that unless you're really committed to like i don't have the discipline to be able to do that Mm. You know, and I want results quicker, but at the same time, like I, I am learning that what I really need, need for my health is not only the good like posture and like fixing like my lower back pain and that kind of stuff, but calming the fuck down (laughs) (laughs) and just stopping and being blissed out and forgetting about everything. Um, do you have a sense of a pose you'd like to look at in this coming hmm. week? No, I don't know. Mm. Maybe, maybe let's go like classic downward facing dog. Yeah, I love down dog. Yeah. Yeah. Since I've been talking about my silly dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then, we, then we'll, we'll be free to talk about our dogs. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. Awesome. I would love that. Um, okay. Yeah. And if anyone wants to email us about their relationship to death, yes. uh, I'm interested. It's softjobpodcast at gmail.com or anything else that we've referred to um, or yoga in general. But um, in particular, I guess that that question of what or I guess maybe also like what is Shavasana for you Mm, mm -hmm. what what does that pose evoke and what happens for you in Shavasana um do you have anything else you want to talk about tonight I don't I think I think we were getting pretty heavy there for a while yeah uh, (laughs) probably a good time to stop then I have a I have a funny story it's still on the death trip, but it's <laughs> it's a um, uh, it's a bit of a question relationship about like how we handle not making death taboo, but not uh, shoving it to the side. So uh, this girl that I was oh you met you met Stella um, mm-hmm. when you came to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So when Stella was about three, uh, her preschool had a Day of the Dead altar where all of the students could bring a Dia de los Muertos altar where all the students could bring like pictures of loved ones who had passed and they like spoke about the holiday and spoke about um, you know the Mexican relationship to death and one student 
it was right after Michael Jackson had passed, and one Aww. student brought a picture of Michael Jackson. And Stella got profoundly fixated on Michael Jackson. <laughs> and there were days when I showed up and she was Michael Jackson. Uh, we talked a lot about Michael Jackson. And then around the same time, she'd gone to see a play that had Egyptian themes. And so she had this kind of conception of the afterworld, which is where Michael Jackson was. Mm-hmm. And she was under the narrative that she had was that Michael Jackson and Cleopatra had gotten married in the afterworld. Wow. And one day we were sitting uh, at her little table having a snack, and she said, Ray Ray, do we have to be alive? I was like, oh, geez. Okay. (laughs) All right, (laughs) three-year-old. Because I didn't want to be like, yeah, we do. It's mandatory, right? And uh, and I was like, well, no, uh, we don't have to be, but, but we are. We are alive. And I was like, what? And she said, I don't want to be alive. I want to be dead. And I was like, okay, all right. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a death wish, right? Like it wasn't a a suicidality, you know? And so I was like, oh, I was like, well, you know, why? Uh, And she was like, I really want to meet Michael Jackson. (laughs) I was like, right, right. And so I was like, you know, because I really didn't want to be like, no, death is bad or death is scary or you don't want that because... Uh, and so I was like, well, you know, like, you know, your grandma would really miss you and your mama would really miss you. And she was like, well, eventually they would be dead, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, and so I was like, you know, I would miss you. And then uh, we were eating mochi with peanut butter. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, I just don't know a lot about what happens when we're dead. Like, I don't know what we get to do or not do when we're dead. I was like, for example, like, I don't know if we get to eat mochi. Like, I don't, I just don't know if we get to eat it when we're dead. And she was like, oh, I really like mochi. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to keep you here because we got the snacks on this side of the afterworld. <laughs> um, but, you know, I mean, I've told that story a lot because I really feel like it's this moment in my life where I was like, right how do I, like, my ethic is that I don't want to create a fear or perpetuate a fear around (laughs) death. But similarly, I'm not interested in making death appealing or glamorous, especially not to a (laughs) (laughs) three-year-old, you know? So, like, navigating that tightrope of, like, it's a part of life, it's inevitable, eventually we'll all be there. Uh, But that that knowledge can then be a way of, like turning our attention to what we do get to experience right. while we are embodied. Like mochi. Like mochi. Mochi is, and peanut butter. Mochi <laughs> is definitely, definitely worth living for. Yes. <laughs> so, so appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate the mochi. Yes. And uh, all the other things. And we'll talk again soon. I'm glad you're alive. I'm glad you're alive. All right. Good night. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye.